0: Hello, friends. Here we are, another Robcast, and you know what this one must be. We're talking with our beloved friend, Pete Rollins. Pete, welcome back to the kitchen table.
1: It is so good to be back at (laughs) Rob Bell HQ. (laughs) (laughs)
0: um, This is the... third episode of An Introduction to Love, which is my title. Your title is slightly amended.
1: Well, my title was Making Love, and then somebody on Twitter said it should be Making Love Wins. (laughs) And I thought, that's a brilliant name. That's what it should have been, Making Love Wins.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. Okay. And it's interesting because I just returned from Bible Belt Tour the number of people who are like, loving the love series
1: well i so, 've been loving watching the Instagram of your tour. <laughs> it looks like it 's so much fun
0: it is so much fun um, okay so wanted let's go let 's recap again episode one and episode two just real quickly in episode one, you took us through love the, the introduction to love the theological dimensions
1: yeah that love is uh, you know in the same way that we talk about the mystics talk about God as Uh, That which renders the world meaningful, that which renders the world sublime, and and God not so much existing, but that force beyond existence that calls everything into being. Uh, We looked at how love can be understood in in a similar kind of way, that when you love, life is meaningful. It doesn't matter if you believe it's meaningful or if you believe it's meaningless, utterly irrelevant. If you love, you just cannot help but experience the world as meaningful. A meal is like communion. Walking through uh, a forest is like uh, an engagement with the existence of the world. Uh, the, a drinking becomes a way of 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 connecting with the people that you're with. Whereas when you're not in love, you know, eating is just for fuel. Walking is just to get from A to B. So there's something about love that renders the world sublime and meaningful and beautiful. Well, you
0: know, I'm thinking of um, one of the great commands in Torah, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. The word, the, the last word there is with all your might or strengthness, but um, strengthness. Yeah. But oftentimes people say the best English translation would be muchness. Uh, yeah. Um, that you love with all of your mu- like you're integrated every dimension of yourself. Yes. Love with all your muchness. Um, but it's interesting how you're helping me see, oh, perhaps if you were to th- think about the command through the lens of what you're talking about, it's that, that life becomes something much more, when you
1: love, yes, and it, so it's not about you know what you know, what you believe or what you think. It's about a different way of being in the world, a different way of swimming in existence.
0: Yes, uh, a friend of mine named Tom. All intellectual, philosophical, theological discussions about what people believe, what they think, what philosophy they hold to, worldview for him, he always stops any of those discussions and says, "How's that working for you?" <laughs> you know what I mean yes. for him yeah. he literally he's what in his mid-60s now he has no tolerance it's always made me laugh he has no tolerance for atmospheric debates untethered from yeah how's that working for you yeah like what does that do whatever you're talking about now whatever position you're arguing for what does that do for this right here yeah. the sweat and yeah. soil and blood of life yes does it fill you with the muchness or does it leave you one more eye rolling cynic
1: yeah there's a there's an old islamic parable about a dervish who's a whirling dervish yeah whirling dervish (laughs) who is who is sitting by a river and somebody comes up behind him and hits him on the back of the head the dervish turns around whirls around and uh, about to defend himself this the person who struck him says okay you can hit me back if you want But first tell me, did the sound that we heard come from my hand or from the back of your head? And the whirling dervish said, you know, you can ask that question because you're not suffering the way I am suffering. I can't theorize because I'm in the midst of it. And this little parable is a beautiful expression of, you know, the difference between thinking of love or suffering from the outside like as a theory, as a philosophy, and thinking about it from the inside, like undergoing love or undergoing pain. Uh, It's almost like the difference between when C.S. Lewis wrote uh, The Problem of Pain, which was very disinterested and dispassionate and sitting down reflecting. And then years later, he wrote A Grief Observed, which was within it was a language and a writing that came from a place of suffering. And it's, I think, a much more beautiful and a much deeper kind of book. So for me, I've always been interested in the philosophy, like your friend, that, that comes from within life, that reflects from a place of like living. Uh, that's always more interesting than some ivory tar discussion.
0: Okay, so Love Part One, you uh, took yeah. us through that th- which gives it Meaning life vitality, then uh, last episode, you took us through the political yes. love and the political
1: love and the political, which was kind of a strange thing to think about at first, but that idea that love enjoys the struggle uh, in a relationship it 's the, the struggle and the, the movement that that is pleasurable, um, and that you know politically speaking. Uh, to love a cause is to give ourselves over to that struggle, um, to get into the, the grittiness of life. There's something very earthy about love.
0: And now this episode, part uh, three, which I remember when we first started talking about this, you were like, part three, get ready. Yes. Was love, I want to say love is personal. Is what yes. You said.
1: The personal, the kind of very, the personal dimension of love love relationships and what it's like in family, all of that stuff. So that's exciting.
0: Pete Rollins on relationships. On re- I never yes. thought I would see that day.
1: <laughs> this is a relationship uh, episode. <laughs> okay, so yeah. um,
0: start in. What do you got for us?
1: Yeah, okay. I, I wanted to start with uh, cracking open desire, right? What is desire? Uh, if you think of desire as an atom and you split the atom, what do you find? And uh, the-, the psychoanalyst Lacan says you find two things. You find the object of your desire and the object cause of your desire. So the object of your desire is what you want. Maybe you want a house, maybe you want a nice car, you want a relationship. And the object cause of desire is that thing that gets in the way that stops you getting those things. So, you know, you want to you wanna have enough money to retire, but you have to work hard, you have to, you know, pay your bills, all of these things get in the way. And Lacan says, you know, we often think that what we want is the object of our desire. I have a friend who wants a house and she's always looking through magazines at all the different houses and going and looking at houses. Uh, So the object of desire is the house. But Lacan says, the issue is when you get the object of your desire, you often find you don't desire it anymore because actually, The thing that's stopping you from getting it is what makes you want it. It's actually looking at all the houses, going through the internet, calling up the realtors. That's where the real enjoyment is. So you kind of get what you want, but you don't want what you want anymore. So life can be seen as a dilemma between depression, which is where you don't get what you want, but you still want it, and melancholy, which is where you get what you want, and you no longer want it. <laughs> so, <laughs> we are that, that's that very, a very difficult human dilemma.
0: The difference between depression and melancholy. Yeah. Depression, you can't get it.
1: Yeah. But you, but want, you it. want it. But you still want it. Yeah.
0: Melancholy is you actually got it and now you don't want it anymore. Exactly. Which is everybody's closet. It's filled with clothes that <laughs> yes. were at one time brand new. And you're like, oh, if I just had those trousers or <laughs> trousers. <Yeah>. Um, what, <laughs> Whatever item of clothing, everything in your closet at one point was, oh, exactly. I should get those. Exactly. Then you get it, and then it's all filled. So it's melancholy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So like oh, a, that's a uh, really interesting. Where did you get that, dis- that distinction? That's a very powerful distinction. To me.
1: Yeah, it's a tactical distinction that I got from psychoanalytic theory. Uh, and I think it beautifully sums up a problem. There's actually a philosopher, um, it was, uh, who was it? It was uh, Schopenhauer, who said. That Schopenhauer? Schopenhauer, Arthur Schopenhauer. German? Uh, yeah. The most pessimistic uh, philosopher you'd ever read, it's funny, it's hilarious to read him, like it really is funny, Um, but he said that humans uh, are on a pendulum swing between boredom and pain. (laughs) So either you're in pain, which means you don't get what you want, or boredom, (laughs) which is where you do get what you want, Uh, and the trick is how do you escape this dilemma?
0: I can see why, (laughs) that is his spectrum.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That is amazing. That is fairly pessimistic, yes. I know.
1: And it it was beautifully (laughs) said by Freud. Actually, Freud had two terms uh, that are really useful. Uh, One is called the pleasure principle. And the pleasure principle is what you want. So, for example, when you're a kid, you want to climb trees, eat chocolate, and win all the games that you play, right? So that's pleasure principle. You want pleasure. The second term is reality principle. And that's what gets in the way. So you want to climb trees, but your body won't let you. You want to eat all the chocolate, but your parents won't let you. You want to win all the games, but your friends won't let you. And what we think consciously, not unconsciously, consciously what we think is if we could get rid of the reality principle and just have the pleasure principle, we'd be happy. But Freud said, no, 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 no. The reality principle is what gives pleasure to the pleasure principle. It's precisely because you can't just climb Everest by thinking about it but you have to work, you have to struggle, you have to get fit. It's exactly the obstacles to what we want that gives pleasure to those things. So weirdly, we as human beings live in that knot, and there are religions that promise the pleasure principle, so they say, you can have everything you want, and there are religions that promise the reality principle, get out of desire and just accept nothingness, but neither work because there is this sense in which to be human is to exist in this difficult tension between the two.
0: Because every story, every great piece of art, every saga that we tell around the table is the interplay between those two. Exactly. Back and forth. Yeah,
1: And that, that's why an analyst will say this. It sounds weird at first. If someone's a gambler and you think, oh, they're, they're addicted to winning, but the psychoanalyst will say, no, often they're addicted to losing. The, the gambler is addicted to loss because it's the losing that makes the winning look so good. The fact that they're always putting money into those slot machines to win. Actually, if they won all the time, they would get bored. Well, you know, If you won all the time, what, you'd get 10 grand in a year or something, and you just get, see flashing lights, it would become completely boring. But the fact that you're losing all the time generates the fantasy that winning would be fantastic. So what weirdly happens is we think we want the winning, but unconsciously we want the losing so that we have this idea that there's something truly satisfying. Like take an example of you and I writing books. Maybe I want to have a number one New York Times bestseller. Well, the obstacle is I have to write the book. I have to think of that perfect way to phrase that sentence. I have to get rhyme and rhythm in the words. I have to do all that. And I think that's the work, that's the obstacle to the number one New York Times bestseller. But actually, that can be where the real pleasure is. Getting a New York Times bestseller, yeah, we'll be happy. That'll be great. But it's actually the work is where the pleasure is. The not you getting get what right. you want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's very true. But the problem with our society is that we are promised objects that will fulfill us. And so we think that that's the object, to get something that will totally satisfy, make us feel great. But it never works. So what we end up with is desire and suffering and struggle. Now, the funny thing is, that's actually... that what That's what keeps things alive. Like, if we actually got what... Society promises us we would realize that that's all rubbish. It doesn't work, but because it doesn't work We keep we keep falling for this idea that there's some object out there money a car a house a number one Bestseller that will just ah magically make me feel fantastic, but it doesn't happen
0: (sighs) Okay, keep going So we have pleasure
1: principle so pleasure principle, principle reality principle and we live in the knot that they create. Um, There's a a guy, Nozick, who did a thought experiment where he said, imagine you could go into a virtual reality machine and get everything you want. Uh, What would happen? Now, he, he was actually saying that we might not do it because there's things that are more important than pleasure. But Freud would say that Nozick misunderstands. He thinks that that would be a pleasure machine, but it would be a pain machine. It would be horrific it would be the worst thing in the world to happen, is to get everything you want. Um, I don't know if we talked about this before, but there's a great episode of The Twilight Zone in 1938 called A A Nice Place to Visit, where this low-life criminal called Rocky Valentine gets shot when he's robbing a jewelry store. And he wakes up, and there's this guy called Pip, who welcomes him into the afterlife. Now, everything looks the same. Rocky Valentine holds out his gun and says, give me your wallet. And Pip laughs, here's your wallet, wo- but you can have more than that, what do you want? He says, take me to your house. So he takes him to a mansion, and he says, wow, you live here? And Pip says, no, I don't, you live here, this is your place. And he open that drawer, there's $2 million in there. Rocky Valentine's going, my goodness, what is this? They go to the casino, he wins every game, doesn't lose once. He's like, this is incredible. But then six months later, he starts to go mad. He says, I can't stand it. I don't want to win every time at the casino. And Pip says, well, tell me what percentage you want to lose. And he's like, that's not the point, you know? He says, I shouldn't even be in heaven. And Pip starts to laugh and says, whatever gave you the idea you're in heaven, this is hell. And then, you know, Twilight Zone pulls back. Rocky <laughs> Valentine is condemned to have everything he could ever want. Yeah.
0: I love that. I heard you tell, I remember...
1: Oh yeah, I told that, that in the Largo once, I think. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah.
0: Okay, now take us yeah. back
1: to love then. So in relationships, this plays out a lot. I, I want to give an example that's actually a true example of some people I know who I've worked with, but you know I've seen it a hundred times. We'll call them Jack and Jill. They've been married for 10 years. They don't really desire each other much anymore. They're friends, but there's no real sexual chemistry. And then Jack has an affair with Snow White. And... This affair gets found out very quickly. Now, on the surface, Jill is very upset. Jack feels really guilty, and they decide to break up. They decide to walk away. Now, Jack wants to be with Snow White, but he can't be with Snow White because he's married, got married and got kids, right? So, what you would expect if you were an alien from outer space and you looked at this, you'd go, "All oh, right, oh, it's over, right? You know, they can, they both can be independent. Jill can go off and find somebody. Jack can do his own thing." And sure enough, that's what's going to happen. But then it doesn't. A week later, Jack and Jill are sleeping together. Uh, they're planning weekend retreats, you know, away to like London and all of this kind of thing. And Snow White's nowhere to be seen. So, what's going on? Okay. Well, it's interesting because for Jack, the object of desire is Snow White. That's what he wants. I want Snow White. But the object cause of desire, that which makes it impossible, is his wife, Jill. He can't because of her. So he's always saying to Snow White, it's an impossible relationship, but if I could, I would be with you. As soon as the object cause is taken away and he can have what he wants, well, he no longer wants it. Which is a typical obsessive move. An obsessive is someone who's always fancying someone they can't have. And as soon as you take away the obstacle, they don't desire them anymore. Now, for Jill, it's slightly different. For Jill, now, the object of desire is Jack. She starts to desire him again. And the object cause of desire, the obstacle is Snow White. You know, she is stealing away her husband and her husband's desire. So while on a conscious level, An alien would go, like, it's obviously logical that Jack and Jill are going to split up and Jack is going to go out with Snow White. Uh, At at the level of desire, Jack and Jill have never been more desirous of each other um, and Snow White is off the scene entirely. Now, what's even more interesting is this has happened four times in the relationship, right? Now, at first that can be bizarre. Why is that happening? But it's because, in a sense... What we think we want is satisfaction. Jack just wants to be with Snow White. You know, that will satisfy me. But what they really want is their desire of vote. What they really want is the struggle and the intensity and the, and the, and the need, and that's, and that's what this affair generates. But the problem is this, it hurts everybody. Everybody is hurt. So it's a traumatic kind of pleasure. It's a it's a problem. It's it's not uh it's not a healthy way. Yeah. No to one desire. uses the
0: word pleasure. They use heartache, pain. Yes. Uh, I mean, every, every there's blood everywhere. Yes. Everybody's heart gets broken.
1: Yeah. So it's weird because in psychoanalysis, it's it's called jouissance, which is kind of a technical term jouissance. for jouissance. yeah, for painful pleasure. It's a traumatic pleasure, like you know, the, the person who is gambling they get a pleasure from losing. Now, not consciously, they don't think so. They think they're getting the pleasure from the win, but actually just like a sports fan, if if your team wins all the time, the desire goes. Even if your team wins all the time, you're immediately thinking about how they might lose in the next game, right? So at a strange level, there is a satisfaction happening, but it is a painful, destructive satisfaction.
0: Okay, to everybody reading this, Everybody listening who's like, uh, you lost me. Okay. What does this have to do with how we navigate the world?
1: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> in yes. love. Yeah. <laughs> well, the ch- here, this brings us to Christianity, interestingly. This, this is partly why I'm a Christian, <laughs> funnily enough. Um, Christi- and not because of any belief. People think Christianity is about belief in God or, uh, you know, belief about the world, that kind of stuff. But I would say Christianity is the lived experience of the objective desire and the object cause of desire being found in the same place, right? <laughs>
0: it's funny, because when you said, I'm a Christian, I was like, there's no way you're not going to add some explanation <laughs> that will just be like, Yeah. that's like an explosive sound of Pete Rollins taking something apart and giving it new language. Yeah. So, go say go that for, again.
1: Okay, so well, let's take the crucifixion. Okay. Right? So, in the biblical times, the object of desire was God right? People wanted God. Now today it might be a Ferrari, it might be money, <laughs> might be whatever, but in that time it's God, right? And the obstacle to God was Jesus, right? The problem was Christ. He is the, we have to crucify him, get rid of him. He's a false messiah. He's getting in the way of God. Crucify Christ, get back to God. And then Christianity does an ingenious move. It says the object of desire is the object cause of desire. God is Jesus. Now, at first, that's very abstract, what does that mean? But it means that, it's, you, you see it in the Apostle Paul. You know with the famous conversion of Paul where he's trying to persecute a group called the Christians. Now of course, it could be any group. It could be Muslims, humanists, atheists. it doesn't matter. It's like structurally speaking, there's a group who are getting in the way of the perfect religion, which at that time for him happened to be Judaism, but it could be any religion, any belief Anybody,
0: anywhere, and the thing that's in the way for them.
1: Yes, and then Paul has the insight. He hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In other words, I am in the obstacle. God is in the obstacle, not what you get when you get over the obstacle. Now, this is all very technical, but it means, technically speaking, Christianity is the experience of getting the object of your desire in the impossibility of getting it.
0: Okay, keep going. Right. Because for most people, there's the thing in the way. Yes. And you are saying, no, the thing that you want is actually hiding, is present, in the obstacle
1: yeah it's like that the pl- that life the pleasure of life the engagement with life is in the struggle and in the not getting itself and the problem with our current worldview our current political worldviews is that we think that there's that the satisfaction the wholeness and completeness comes from getting the object of our desire and getting rid of the struggle But in Christianity, you have this ingenious idea that no, in the very struggle of life, you touch the absolute. The absolute, the satisfaction and joy is found in dissatisfaction and struggle and actually fighting for the good and engaging with life. So in terms of relationships, a person, it's very difficult to do, but it's when you have a relationship where you don't have the other person. Like There's always obstacles. You're getting to know them better. There's things, there's struggles, and realizing that that's where the the enjoyment of the relationship is. So for my friend Jack and Jill and Snow White, the object of desire and the object cause of desire were in two different locations. Yes. But, But love, I think in its robust sense, is where you can bring those two things together um, in the one person. that And strangely, here put it like this, when you love somebody, they are someone who is like a universe still to explore. Like in, in, in uh, Doctor Who, they have the TARDIS. And the TARDIS is a time machine that doctor, the doctor travels around. And um, the TARDIS on the outside is just a small box. But on the inside, it has infinite dimensions. And that is a beautiful analogy of human subjectivity the person you love is a fleshly frame that you can walk around. They're tiny, right? But they open up to an inner world that is infinite. Mm -hmm. And love, in a sense, enjoys the fact that you don't have the other. The other is a universe to explore. And the fact that you don't know them completely and that you have to explore them for the rest of your life and discover new, new regions of their being is actually what it means to know someone and to be with them and to love them.
0: Oh man, Pete Rollins. There's so many places I wanna go with that. Okay, so keep going.
1: Okay, so this, well, where should we go with this then? We've t- touched on the pleasure principle, the reality principle, the idea that often for an obsessive, uh, it's, you often desire what you can't have for an hysteric, This woman in the story is hysterical. She, an hysteric often only desires something that's threatening to be taken away. So for some of us, we only desire what we can't have. And for some of us, we only start to desire what we have when it's in threat of being taken away. Both of these are painful ways to live. Both of these are destructive ways to live. Um, So Uh, uh,
0: A couple of thoughts come to mind. It's interesting how much of the um, bond between Kristen and me, mm-hmm. like when we laugh about all the things that have gone wrong, Yeah. Yes, so much of the bond is the obstacles. Yes. F- friends lost, money lost, awkward situations, times when things just blew up on our face. Th- those are all as much the glue. Yeah. As uh the sunset on vacation where it was like Instagram, no that the, the glue is all the stuff um that isn't Instagram. Yes. Bubble, yes. Or people don't.
1: Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. The yeah.
0: bond is all the train wrecks. Yes. I mean the bond's all over the place. But how many times we laugh at stuff that at the time we were, we, were n- we laugh way more now when it's all, when something's blowing up on our face. Yeah. But that the idea that you'd live in a perfect house in a perfect town, everything would go well, nothing would leak or break or blow up.
1: Oh, it'd be just hell. Um, so, so depressing. So, you'd be st- yeah. lost in melancholy.
0: And all the times when bills showed up, you didn't know were coming in there twice as much, and you're like, how are we going to do this? All of that is actually the stuff
1: yes. that yes. you
0: look back on yeah. that bring
1: you together. Yeah. So the, the real challenge uh, for us you know, in relationships and also in our lives is to break away from the structure that is virtually ubiquitous, which is we're promised what we want, which is wholeness, completeness, and satisfaction, but we're given what we need because it never works. So like, you know, we end up not getting quite what we want, but we get that in a way we don't like, right? So we are promised what we want, wholeness and satisfaction. We end up dissatisfied and we dislike the dissatisfaction, right? The difference is is to actually get what we need, which is dissatisfaction. Realize that dissatisfaction is part of life, but learn to enjoy it. Learn to revel in it. Learn to embrace it. And and when we're able to do that, I think uh, you know we can have a much richer form of life. Exactly what you're talking about is that you're th- th- those struggles that you and Kristen have had over the years. The 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 that's where the real growth and pleasure. Comes. Okay,
0: so if you so somebody comes to you and they're like, I just want to find somebody, so they're going on every dating app ever. If there's a Pete Rollins. Yeah. Dating app, how is it different?
1: Okay. Yeah, it's basically, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think we took this out of the last one, so I don't think I mentioned I, I, that I wanted to create, I still want to create a little heart that, you know the way those hearts you get and you break them in half and one person wears one half, the other person wears <laughs> the other, and then they join together perfectly when you're together. Well, I want to create one where when you put the two halves together, they don't fit. <laughs> right. That's my dating app, is that, you know, because at the moment... Somebody is just hearing this
0: right now. They're good with metal. They're going to design it. I'll I know. Send it to you I hope sure. so.
1: I really hope so. Um, because in a sense, that's more true to life, but also that's the enjoyable thing about a relationship is funnily enough, a dating, the dating apps where you try to find a person who is going to complement you entirely, who reflects your political ideals, your religious ideals, all of that... That's called loving the imaginary in psychoanalysis, which means you basically try to find someone who is a reflection of all your ideals. It never works. Because if you're looking for that, eventually, well, the other person will think differently from you about something. And it's hilarious how it happens. People break up, not because they have a major difference, like they come from two different parts of the world. Uh, One person is from like Russia, and the other person from Ireland, and they have totally different religions. People will fight over, they share the same religion, they go to the same church, but one of them is a pre-tribulation rapture person or whatever, and someone is a mid-tribulation rapture person, and and the other just doesn't reflect some tiny difference can be enough to break two people apart. So trying to find someone who Reflect your ideals. Uh, not only is it does it not work. Uh, it's not even a fun type of relationship. You want someone very different from you, who thinks differently from you. You know, who doesn't who doesn't complete you.
0: Okay, what do you say to all of the cynics who've been burned, who've had their heart broken, who thought they were in something that would last and it didn't, and now it's like, come on. Yeah. Seriously, love, are you kidding me?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Well, one of the things I, w- I would say, because there's lots of advice you can get everywhere, so I'm trying to give some advice that you might not hear anywhere else. Uh, and it's a difficult piece of advice, but it's, it's actually looking at why do we give ourselves over to types of relationships that are destructive to us? In other words, sometimes we only desire bad relationships. So someone says, why do I always go out with some people who don't like me and who are absent and uh, who, you know, who are secretive? And you're almost going like, I, I contingently by accident always meet those types of people. But there's a much more traumatic truth, which is maybe you seek those types of people out because maybe there's something about those people that you desire. But it's a painful desire. It's problematic. It's difficult. But if you don't know why you do that, you won't be able to overcome it. You know the phrase, though: if, you, if a country doesn't know its history, it will be condemned to repeat it. It's the same for individuals. If we do not know our history, we will be condemned to repeat it. We will have obviously different relationships, different people uh, in different places, but ultimately they'll work out pretty much the same. So the question, like for my friends who have gone through this process four or five times, they have to go, maybe, maybe we want this type of broken relationship not consciously but maybe we're getting something from it and we need to work out what that is so that we can overcome it and and you know weirdly as i said about the gambler sometimes the gambler is addicted to loss they're addicted to losing because they need to believe there is something that will make them whole and complete because they're not able to look at the difficulties in their life and work through them And the first thing they have to realize is, oh, I want some magical sacred object that will make everything good because I've had lots of suffering in my life and I'm scared of looking at it. I'm scared of working through it. I just want something magical to help. And going to the casino and betting and gambling and losing all the time keeps the fantasy alive that if only I could win that roulette table, everything would be great. Maybe I have to come to terms with the fact that life is difficult. And that's the first step to, to real joy. Oh, that's
0: good. Um, now, what about the couple who have been together for a number of years and they're yeah. just in a rut? It's just going through the motions. And so they listen to you and they're like, love, yeah, whatever. It's just sort of what it is and it's not yeah. really. We're just in a... Yeah,
1: like a yeah. rut. I mean, and that happens, my goodness. Like, that happens all the time. Um, and in truth, the difficulty is often it's because you get what you want. Sometimes, you know, maybe you were in a Christian college or something and you imagined, you know, marrying, if you're a woman, the, the, the baseball star, I don't know what you call them. I'm this not from such <laughs> an
0: Irish... That is <laughs> it's such an Irish you are look like, crying to, as an <laughs> Irishman, think up something. And we're all like, what? What, what like, you I talking what?
1: about? Yeah, yesterday I was speaking somewhere and I was talking about <laughs> sports stuff? bars. I was talking about sports bars and I was saying how, you know, the dancing and the whatever. And someone's like, we don't dance at sports bars? Like, oh, right, okay. I'm an Irish guy thinking about what okay, Americans so do. so apparently
0: in your example, there's some person in some country and she...
1: Yeah, the cheerleader marrying the jock. Is the, are those, those correct so terms? So tired. It's so tired. It's so tired. What's the right. updated version? Of a cliche of a cliche. It's the nerd. Well, wanting let me get to, marry me get to what
0: you're <laughs> you're trying to say. So, some stereotypical. This is my ideal person.
1: Yes, that's what you're trying to. That's get That's what at. I'm trying to get. Okay, at. Let's keep it really vague. <laughs> <laughs> really vague. When you're young, you want that person, and you want the house, and you want to settle down, and you want you, know, you have a vision of what you want. Whatever it is in you your head
0: it. that is like this is how it should supposed to go.
1: Exactly, and then you get it. You get it all. And now you're in pain. You're actually not in physical pain. You're in kind of emotional pain. You take painkillers and Valium and stuff like that just to get through the days. Yeah. So what's happened is your desire has stopped because you've kind of got the object of your desire, but not the object cause of your desire. Yeah. So the challenge in that type of relationship is how do we get an obstacle? How do we get a struggle back into our lives? Um, now, if you do not do this consciously, you'll do it unconsciously. In other words, you'll have an affair. You'll burn down your house by accident, but not really by accident. You'll do like, because in a sense, unconsciously your body wants to get things started again. It wants to get the motor running. So what-
0: So midlife crisis, racking up massive financial debt for things yeah. that you don't need. But sometimes what people are doing, yeah is simply trying to dig a hole yes. that we'll then have to cl-
1: climb out of. It's basically like, yeah, like a spark to their desire, they're trying to spark. Now not consciously, unconsciously, and you're exactly right, you rack up huge credit card bills, you have a purchasing problem, where people steal, you know, there's the thing where people who don't need to steal stuff go and steal things, right? stars who are fine stealing like clothes oh, yeah, out of yeah, a, yeah. a shop. Now, a lot of this unconsciously is because your desire is dead, you're a star, you've got everything you want. You're, you're trying to get struggle back into your existence. Now, if you don't do it hel- in a healthy, conscious way, yeah, your body will find unhealthy ways. You will have an affair. You will rack up $10,000 of debt that you can't pay off.
0: So one of the things, when somebody feels like, oh man, this thing has lost all its electricity and spark is like almost to turn your radar on and to be aware, oh, this is where oftentimes people do things really destructive in an attempt to plug the electricity back
1: in. Yeah. So maybe, you know, somebody might go, actually, you know what? I want to start a small business. Uh, You know, I want to, you know, I want us to just to travel. I want to sell a house and buy a, uh, you know, a van and go live in a forest. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that sounds horrific. Don't do that to anybody. Don't do that. <laughs> but but there are, th- those are conscious ways of almost saying to yourself, we have to think of a good and healthy way to bring good and healthy struggle back into our relationship. Because if we don't, it will happen and it will happen in a really bad way. See, that's really interesting. So, so in health...
0: You say to each other, the one says the other, you know, honestly I'm so bored. Yeah. And okay, then let's cook something up. Yeah. Let's try something, go somewhere. Yeah. Let's transition. Let's be open to this. Let's learn this. Let's explore this. Let's let's blow this up in healthy ways. Yes.
1: And the challenge Because otherwise it, yeah.
0: it'll all be submerged. It'll be some sort of shadow and it'll express itself in all sorts of like ways.
1: like a pot yeah like a boiling pot you've got the lid eventually it's going to if you don't give a little bit of steam it'll blow but the challenge is not to think that the new challenge will satisfy or ah, make you whole. You that's the big challenge the challenge is to as i said about you know with christianity in its structural sense brings together the struggle for what you want is what you want you know, just as a, you know, God is Christ. You know, the the struggle for what you want is what you want. So you go, We're gonna we're gonna, you know, set up a small business and we're gonna do this. But you know what? We're not gonna be depressed until it works. We're gonna enjoy right. it. Right, right, right. You know, in fact, in fact, once it works, maybe we should sell it and do something else. Which you know? is what <laughs> often
0: people do because they're yeah. like, oh, actually it was the imagining and it was the launching that was actually the joy. The joy, yeah.
1: So most of us just misrecognize our joy. That's the problem. It's not that people are getting pleasure; it's that they're misrecognizing their pleasure. So the business person who is working hard to make all this money, they don't realize that they're actually enjoying the working hard. And once you realize that, the power of like oh, having a certain amount of money dissipates. Who cares? And. That unplugs you from ideology. That, for me, is the fundamental unplugging from the way our world works because you're unplugged from the sacred object. You realize that the thing that's satisfying is dissatisfaction itself.
0: Say more about the sacred object. I've heard you talk about this oh, before. Yeah.
1: yeah, so that's very key in my later work. The idea that, that human beings, we generally fantasize a sacred object, an object that promises wholeness, completeness, satisfaction, all of that. And it's always just over the horizon, you know. It's something that you want, that we always miss. It's also called idolatry. That's a theological term for it, the idolatry. And in in a lot of my work, I'm talking about how do you move from the idea of a sacred object to the sacred being a depth dimension in all objects? So that's what we're talking about here. Instead of the sacred being an object, you realise that the sacred is found in the depth of life and living itself. And it's it's wonderful because the problem with the sacred object is you're depressed if you don't get it, and you are melancholic if you do. So it's it's a lose lose. Horns of it, no it's you're caught between a rock and a hard place, right? But if the object of your desire is the struggle for what you want, then you can escape depression and melancholy.
0: man oh man Pete Rollins part three yeah. anything to wrap it up uh, there's a thousand places we can go but I love people listening to this and then just taking it yeah. in
1: all sorts of directions is
0: yeah. there anywhere else that you've written on this on love
1: um, I'm trying to think not so, Oh, I've got, a, I've got a book of fairy tales I've written <laughs> Uh, that, uh, that is, uh, are being uh, illustrated at the moment. It's gonna come out in a comic book later in the year, and it's called Enduring Love. Because oh, enduring love. Like, en- yeah, like. Because love is so difficult to endure, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's more coming on love. Yeah,
1: and that, that's, it's called, it's called um, it, the subtitle is uh, you know, Tales from the Lonely Forest, because uh, all these. it's all about these animals who live in the lonely forest, who are trying to work out how to love. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. There's lots of like furry little creatures who are suffering and struggling.
0: And then the book, An Introduction to Love by yeah, Pete rounds
1: I'm going to have to do that. Titled by
0: Rob Bell. That's coming out when?
1: That's going to come out. That's going to be written in 2018. Hopefully come out 2018. <laughs> I love it. Love the idea of it.
0: I'm so happy that we're friends and that you can come on and do these things.
1: Uh, man, I so appreciate your friendship. I so appreciate doing this. And these... Uh, man, this is so much...
0: This is really, it's really, really rich. There's so much to think about. Okay. Yeah. Let alone all the people you mentioned, who I'm later like, I'm gonna have to go read so and so. Or oh, who's yeah. the who's the pessimist? Who's the German pessimist?
1: Haber oh, oh, uh, I, um, Arthur Schleimacher. Yeah, he wrote a book called it "On Pessimism." On. P- <laughs> yeah, it's very, very good. <laughs> the first essay is worth the book itself. Yeah. On pessimism. On pessimism. I think it's called "On Pessimism." I'll have to check that.
0: This might. This would be one of the only people in the world that I would not have. I would like. I'm sure we'd find all kinds of things to talk about. Yeah. But I'd also be like, man, dude, we are not on the same. No, frequency. yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, the thing about Schopenhauer is I think that you read him and you see the depth of the problem. Yes,
0: and, right, right, right.
1: And then you... and what but basically what he destroys is he destroys the idea that there's something out there having, let the, say, the right relationship, the right well. religion, the right this. He destroys all that. Like, once you reach Schopenhauer, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be happy because I got some sacred object. Yeah. But then he opens up the possibility of, ah, oh, maybe I can be happy. and jo-. By the way, this is a technical definition of joy for me. Is Joy is in the, the pleasure you get from not having what you want. This is what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, "Joy is like experiencing uh, a possible world that doesn't quite exist. It's like a, it's like an aroma of something you don't have. It's a it's a you, you hunger for a food that doesn't exist. Exactly, but it's not that can be painful. We can be depressed by that. But joy is when you actually like it. You go, Oh, that's great. I love that. And scientists are a perfect example. Like scientists." love not finding Mm -hmm. the answer. People think that scientists are addicted to answers. No, they're addicted to not having answers. As soon as a scientist gets an answer, they put that to one side and throw themselves back into the questioning again. Because the joy of science is the ongoing discovery. And what would be the worst thing for scientists is if they discovered a theory of everything that explained it all, what would they do then? That would be terrible. It would be a disaster. This is what changed... I mean, this was about 10 years ago.
0: That, that insight about my work, mm. that, oh, when I finally came, when I came to understand how little control I had over how people would respond to my work. Yeah. And when I realized that ener, ener, any energy try, spent trying to manipulate or control how people would respond to my work was a waste of energy. Yeah. It didn't honor people or the work. And that the only thing to do was just do my work. Yes. And enjoy it. Yeah.
1: And I see that in that you. Was a that's major,
0: a, yeah. major, major life moment. Oh, the only thing left to do is just throw myself into it with joy. Yeah.
1: And do it. And that was one of the first things I saw about you. When I first met you all those years ago, I was like, you just love the journey. <laughs> You just like like literally. I was almost in too much. It was like you are so excited about the process, <laughs> the artistic process itself. Oh sure, you know. And, and actually, the the goal. And I I know people who are who are obsessed with the goal, so they're unhappy. I have to write this book, but then I'll get the audience, and then I'll have this, then I'll mm. have that. And that's a depressing way to works. live. But when you're sitting, there, see, you're sitting there, and I say you're saying like, and because your books have this rhythm, and you're so I say like, go like, how do I get that lyrical rhythm? How do I find that sentence that just pops like and you're loving not having what you want because you're loving the process of writing absolutely and and actually as well you know better than most whenever the book actually you know is the day that is published yeah that's a nice day but that's not where all the enjoyment is fine right
0: right and i've noticed this with lots of people in the work the Whatever the day, the big thing coming up is often a letdown Yeah, because it promised a number of things it can't deliver.
1: That's, that's what the sacred object is. It promises what it cannot and if deliver. If
0: you can throw yourself into each, the day and the slog of each day, Yeah, then you're not as devastated when whatever the, the big moment, whatever it looks like in whatever area of life it is, yeah. It it has less of a chance of breaking your heart because you see it in a larger... But if you're just like that day, next year, or that day, that's when it all...
1: Um, it. Well, this, you said it, it may be fantastic there,
0: yeah. and it may totally let you down. Yeah, the do way you
1: said it, because the, the, the end goal doesn't give you as much as it promises. And then the opposite is... The struggle gives you a lot more than it promises.
0: Absolutely, that's,
1: and that's the key. That's it. You, gotta, you re, We have to realize that yeah. that the goal gives us so much less than it promises. But the struggle, if you if you orient yourself correctly to it, you will realize that it gives you so much more than it yeah. promises.
0: Man, we could go all day. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again. Thank this you. Was fantastic. Wonderful. Grace and peace, my friends.